Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and Luca, I didn't even know her. Wow. <laughs> Just joining literally us today, taking the thing at the top of the pile, huh? Join, joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I'd rather be a merman than a fascist. <laughs> Jeff Kanata. Silencio David Chen. <laughs> And joining us today for this podcast, she is a writer at SlashFilm.com. Hui Chen Bui, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Calamari, by your name. Excellent. Oh, perfect. Also, I, I know where you stole that from. <laughs> yeah, yes. you totally stole it's great. it. It was great. I was, was going to steal it too, but I, you know, last, last minute substitution, I think it all worked out. Um, <laughs> welcome to the Slash Filmcast. Of course, those are in reference to our main review tonight. Of Luca, the new Pixar film that's streaming right now on Disney Plus. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And if you want to support this podcast, it's very easy to do so in one of two ways. Go to patreon.com slash film podcast. You can also leave a podcast review at Apple Podcasts. We would really, really appreciate that. By the way, uh, I did want to point something out. I got an email this week from a uh, lovely listener who uh, expressed some confusion about something on the Patreon, and I wanted to make clear uh, a misconception, which is that we have a $5 and a $10 and a $25 tier on the Patreon, but it is possible to back the Patreon at any tier. Um, it may not come with rewards, but you can mm -hmm. definitely back it at levels lower than $5. Uh, and so I just, I don't, I don't or think that's way higher than $25 or way higher than $25. Right. We have several $10,000 backers. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm not aware of that. And I <laughs> oh, you, feel she, like there I mean, may be a reason you're 10, not telling 000? us that. Did I say $10,000? I meant 10,000 pe pennies. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, there are, you can back it basically at any level you want. Some of the levels come with rewards. Some of them, uh, do not, but you're, you're welcome to back at any level. But of course, never back us if it is in any way a financial hardship to do so. Um, it, again, again, it's very easy to support us for free by leaving a review at Apple Podcasts. Okay. Uh, let's get into the show. We got some what we've been watching for you, some weekly plugs, and then our featured review of Luca. But before we get to that, we get some emails I want to read. Okay. And this is, here's a fun one, guys. Okay. Cause this one, I, I want you guys to not use Google or anything on your phone as I'm reading this email and then ask you a question oh, after no. the email. Quiz right. show rules. Okay. Quiz show rules. Quiz show, yep. Trivia night rules. Okay. Uh, all right. This comes in from Craig from Madison, Wisconsin. Now, on last episode of the Slash Filmcast, we talked about the Avatar video game that's coming out actually you know let me preempt the craig email by reading this email from jackson who writes into slash gmail.com quote i wanted to relay some thoughts that seem relevant to the ongoing avatar discussion slash debate for context video games are my primary hobby in life as far as my free time goes more of it is dedicated to gaming than any other hobby even as i write into this film podcast i listen to weekly i play and enjoy games more than film I watch a lot of E3 and other similar expos, cons, etc. because I want to stay up to date with my hobby. Having said that, your In the Heights episode was 100% genuinely the first time I'd ever heard of this Avatar video game. <laughs> draw, draw your own conclusions. I am just sharing a fact. What? This guy what? has his pulse on... <laughs> I mean, he just, said, yeah. he just said, I watch <laughs> E3 top to bottom, and you didn't watch the end of the Ubisoft. It's not... It's not like it was 
<laughs> buried somewhere. It was literally the final debut game at the end of Ubisoft's presentation. Mm. Like yeah. it doesn't. But, it's not saying. Any, it's not saying anything about the game. It's saying something about him. Yeah, it maybe. was the Ubisoft CEO presenting it. So I'm sure he saw this uh, this old white guy and he was just like, ah, "What? This isn't Miyamoto. I'm done. Off." Come on. Cl- do, clearly, do the video game left Gimon. no the, the video game left no residual presence in his brain. I think is what is trying to say. Yeah, you know. But okay, okay. Uh, on last week's episode of, of the Slash Filmcast, Jeff Kanata continued to uh, reinforce, to reassess. Re- I'm sorry, reassert the cultural supremacy of the James Cameron film Avatar, even as Kanata himself fumbled <laughs> many of the <laughs> proper nouns from that film. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Again, does not reflect on the movie, reflects on me. Okay. Well, <laughs> even after called out for his mispronunciation of Pandoria, uh, <laughs> he still mispronounced it again. Okay. But this, this email is address- strikes straight at the heart of that whole mm-hmm. situation, Jeff. Kanata, mm-hmm. Okay. Are we going to have some sort of quiz that I'm going to fail? <laughs> this, this email comes from Craig from Madison, Wisconsin. All right, Craig. Craig writes, during last week's episode, David makes a big deal about how Jeff doesn't remember the names of the creatures from Avatar as a reason why it's not culturally relevant. But I'm curious if he's ever considered how the naming things uh, would, look, would make it look like other franchises aren't culturally relevant. For example, without looking it up, I bet there are very few people who could name three characters... From the Mission Impossible franchise. I have seen all six movies and got pretty stumped by that after Ethan Hunt. It's super easy, dude. Simon <laughs> Pegg, Ving Rhames, <laughs> and Tom Cruise. I think you're referring to uh, Luther, Benji, and, uh, and Ethan Hunt. But No, no, you're wrong. Are Those there are any cl- other clearly characters? Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg. Can anyone name any other, any other characters by any chance? Yeah, no. we, we we got so many. I love them. I love them all. Rebecca Ferguson. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you guys are proving. You guys are proving. Uh, Craig. Correct. Okay. Craig's email continues. Similarly, John Wick has had a full trilogy, but does anybody mm-hmm. remember or care about the characters that aren't named John Wick? <laughs> no. Okay. Can anyone on the podcast, without looking it up, name any characters from John Wick? <laughs> nope. Halle Berry. <laughs> There's well, the dog. Got... Oh, um, Zero. That's the the villain in in John Wick Three, played oh, Vil- by Zero's Mark. Very good. De- yeah, Mark DeCascos. Oh, Excellent. I'm so good. Not like Excellent. I did the junket yep. for that and, and remembered it specifically because I <laughs> you, you have literally spoken to the man face to face. She had interviewed the the man who played the character and for her job had to remember it and still had a hard time. <laughs> okay, well, HD, HD. Wait, wait, wait. Did you did you get to shake Mark DeCascos' hand? I did. And yes. Had, yeah. <laughs> love it. He's so friendly. We talked about Asian names. It was great. He just seems like a nice guy. I love what it. What a delightful nice. human being. Okay. Yes. Can anyone name any other characters from John Wick? The dog. What's the name of the dog? <laughs> it's, the, it's literally the inciting incident Doggy. of the entire trilogy, and you can't name the dog. Right? Okay, you guys we are have, incredibly... We have Theon Greyjoy. Disappointing to me. <laughs> yeah, Theon Greyjoy's in it. <laughs> I, I, I am so disappointed. In in all of you, really, no, you're right proving now. my point, which is awesome. That's great. Uh, that has nothing to do with anything. Like, like, have names. like, like yeah. Lawrence Fishburne plays the Bowery King. He doesn't even have a name. Who can forget name? That's yes, the name. Bowery King is is yeah. correct. That that is his name, basically. That's his name. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. In in your defense, the people who I'm now criticizing, 
there are actually very few named characters in any movie after John Wick Chapter One. Um, well, actually, that's not true. There's like he has his, he has his friends. There's like a handful keep, of named characters, right? Like but, who's Willem Dafoe? Right? He was a guy. William Defoe plays the character of Marcus. That sounds about right. <laughs> it's because he's a marksman. And none of us would correct Vi- you. Michael uh, Nyquist in the first film plays mm-hmm. Viggo Tarasov. Sure. sure. And also okay. Ian McShane's character. He's important. Ian, That's okay, what's Ian McShane's yes. character's name? Any, anyone? Ian McShane's character. I'll give you a hint. Hotel man. Winston. 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 Did you, oh, did you, you look that up, Devinger, or did you figure that out? I'm just trying to think of who's in it. No, no Winston, looking things up. This is, this is no, we want a pure test here, okay? All right. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know yeah, Jason a- Manzukas plays TikTok Man. Again, yes. a character Love without it. a name, but you know, you remember the TikTok Man because all he says is TikTok John Wick. <laughs> 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 Don't forget, Lance Reddick also plays Charon from the movie. So that's a guy who has a name as well. He has a name? Yes. And who could forget <laughs> uh, John Leguizamo's famous character, Aurelio? Or. Uh, Bridget Moynihan. You guys remember Bridget Moynihan in John Wick? Sure, of course. Yeah. She sure. plays John Wick's wife, whose name is... Wife. Wife. <laughs> <laughs> whose name is Wife. Craig's so email the- continues. Sure, everybody knows what the creatures are called in Star Wars, but the names of creatures slash monsters, etc. are quickly forgotten from other franchises. I can't name the species of dragon outside of Night Fury from How to Train... Uh, uh, dragon, from the dragon? How to Train Your Dragon series. There I can only Light Furies. With... Yeah. Oh. Night nice. Furies and Light Furies. But isn't Light Furies in the sequel only? Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, there you go. HT just proved you wrong, Craig. Okay. I can only come up with the names <laughs> of Hippogriffs and Dementors from Harry Potter, despite having read the books and seen the movies. I'm sure some people could come up with more creatures' names from uh, Harry Potter, but they've also had 10 movies and seven hugely popular novels. I guess what I'm saying is I'm on hashtag Team Jeff here. Yes. The, it's not relevant if you can't name all these things argument doesn't hold water. And the fact that you keep talking about the movies slash games slash cultural relevance of the series is the cultural relevance. That Boom. comes in from Craig from Madison, Wisconsin. Craig! Dude, why five, bro? Nice. I am. Uh, I, I appreciate... More soldiers in my army. This yeah. is awesome. Ride this wind all the way to Pandoria. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I want to use my main to plug into you, Craig. That's <laughs> Did it get weird? Is that was that is that are you referring to avatar terms? Is that what's happening? Yeah, there? isn't that what they do? It's so naturalistic the way you do it, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. Um, HT, do you feel like if people can like that naming things is not a key part of being culturally relevant and or what do you think about the cultural relevance of the avatar series i think naming things doesn't mean doesn't pretend to cultural relevance but i think that the naming things in avatar is a symptom of a wider issue and that no one remembers what happens in avatar (laughs) And and the naming things was just an example of that and not the main issue because I don't care about a lot of trivia in movies or franchises that I enjoy. I can't name every single dinosaur, but that's also because I'm not a geologist in Jurassic uh, Park. Sorry, paleontologist. Um, I I think that, you know, the equivalent equivocation of trivia with the cultural relevance of a thing is just outsized fandom talking. And mm-hmm. because the... Uh, Mm-hmm. ubiquity of franchises like Marvel and Star Wars where these kind of 
pieces of trivia are held up as like the bastion of you are the greatest fan have kind of started to dissip- like start to per- permeate in other things. That's why this cool conversation is being had, but I don't <laughs> believe in it. Um, but at, that being said, Avatar is not a memorable movie, but yes, it is probably culturally relevant because every time we talk about it, people are like, Avatar, and it comes back every couple of years, so it must mm-hmm. have some cultural but relevance. But that, that's the relevancy is the argument yeah. about its relevancy. So, yeah. Yeah, okay, in a backwards way, yes, Jeff, you are correct. <laughs> It, it is the you know the thing we keep talking about. I think what you're trying to say, HT, is that you thought that my quizzing of Jeff on the names of Avatar was facile and unconvincing, and mm-hmm. um, in so many words, yes. Yeah, it, it's uh, comic book guy syndrome, you know. Yeah. So yeah, and well, uh, here's here's a weird twist. I'm, I'm wrong, and I'm I, I should feel bad about my opinions. I think is what you're saying, but, <laughs> well, but you know. Well, Here's I'm, a weird I'm twist. Telling, I'm, gonna, I'm telling I'm, this to the host of a very popular film <laughs> podcast, so I very? probably could be wrong too. Mildly, maybe. Okay, Jeff, go ahead. I was going to say, here's a weird twist. I will defend the other side on this one uh, and say that I think there is a distinction in Avatar because it's a movie that sets out to do world building, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you might say that with John Wick, but not really. Uh, John Wick doesn't really care about that that much, but sort of key and central to the notion of Avatar is to create a fully formed science fiction world in the same way that something like a Star Wars or a Marvel Universe mm-hmm. would. And so I think I think the bar is slightly higher, and therefore people feel like, well, why don't I? If if there if, if Cameron was putting all this effort into creating this fully realized world how come i none of it stuck and i do think that that's probably where the argument comes from but i i still don't really think it matters that much because yeah his his naming conventions are a little uh maybe a little less memorable perhaps and I don't think anyone who sees those creatures like at the beginning of ubisoft's presentation doesn't immediately know their avatar. Every when you see, I, the, like, I already I gave you one example though, Jeff, of somebody who sat through that entire trailer and had no clue it was Avatar. And this was somebody <laughs> our age working in media. Well, so it's I, like, I yeah. could show you somebody that would watch the a teaser for Star Wars and not know it's Star Wars. There's plenty of people who just aren't tied into whatever particular fiction it is. But I think on a in a broader sense, the look and feel of Avatar is culturally imprinted like the mm-hmm. the bioluminescent plants the you know the the sort of glow and bluishness of everything the like horses with six legs and the long manes that plug into all of that stuff is is imprinted on mm-hmm. our cultural memories has it showed up anywhere else Man, dude, people text me shit all the time where it's shown up. Like, I, like, no, I mean, like, a... like cultural influence is like we saw the Matrix in 1999, right? And the very next year, everyone was like, "I'm, I'm doing my own Matrix shit." Yeah, Everybody, well, something, everyone's doing something. bullet time or whatever. I yeah. mean, arguably the biggest legacy of Avatar uh, culturally, uh, aside from the look and aesthetics, that I think you're you're right about, Jeff. Like, yeah. I do think people like recognize it, but also it's um, the 3D craze. You guys remember yeah, yeah. that whole single-handedly made that happen for yes we you know we can debate 
probably for like 10 seconds about how valuable that there was, was for society. Up there there's but, a build up going there. Yeah, yeah there's a little but, bit before that too. A lot of it. Yeah. Sure, but I mean, come on. In any case, in any case, <laughs> fair fair points all around. Thanks for the emails at slashfilmcast@gmail.com. And I, I like having this discussion, by the way, because I want to have it up until the day I die, because we're never going to see those sequels. <laughs> I just Avatar... want this conversation to be our discussion about Avatar. This will forever. be our legacy. On my, well, on yeah, wasn't Avatar gravestones. one of the very first movie reviews that you guys did? This is all just coming full circle for you guys. I don't know about first, no. but it was early. Yeah, no. because It was early it on, yeah. Uh, it was episode 81, HC. That's how long oh. we've been doing this podcast. Wow. Into episode the year 81 two. of yeah. the Slash Filmcast in uh, December of 2009, the guest was Dan Trachtenberg from The Totally Rad Show. We named it our movie of the year that year on The Totally Rad Show. We, we all loved it. It was, and we had to come to a consensus to name it that. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we, our show had been going for two years at that point, but yeah. Also, looking at the news items from that episode, um, Brittany Murphy passed away at the age oh, of 32 man. that oh. week. Um, and Brian Singer was uh, on track to direct X-Men First Class. Mm. So, unfortunately, you know that, well, that, that didn't happen for yeah. for you know, uh, and, and it was to first class's benefit for many reasons that that did not happen. So, uh, but yes, a lot, lot has happened since then. Anyway, mm-hmm. all right. So, why don't we move on from the Avatar discussion? Quality quality email from Craig, though. Let's all agree with that. It's, it's a great. It's a great. I, I love email. things that reignite this argument. It's great. <laughs> and I'm you know HTM sufficiently chastened. Uh, about using <laughs> names as a uh, as, as a marker, a, you know, as a marker yeah. of cultural relevance. Um, because, it, like it, we were, we were talking about John Wick, right? And I feel like people know the world building aspects of it, right? Like you don't they, they got the coins, the coins by <laughs> continental. Your don't don't kill. You don't the, kill in the continental. They love you dogs. Know, the keys. Yeah, Jeff, you're, you're you seem unmoved. I am unmoved because, you know, one or two things. I could give you one or two things that everybody knows about Avatar. You know, it's indeed. All right. uh, Good points all around. I appreciate the conversation. All right. Let's move on. Uh, Let's do one thing we've been watching. HT, why don't you tell us what you've been watching this week? So, Dave, when you asked me before recording this whether I wanted to be on for the entire episode (laughs) or just do the the Luca review, I I considered uh, what I would want to talk about in this section. And I realized that I want to talk about one specific thing. And this is basically the reason I came on to do the entire episode. Just, just for me, really. HG. It's really Thank just you. for you, Devendra. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't to participate in the, the riveting Avatar debate? <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as fun as that is, I really just wanted to talk about Q. 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 Because it has two exclamation points in the title. Yes. So Q is a volleyball anime, uh, high school volleyball anime. That follows a team of uh, volleyball, volleyball players at Karasuno High School uh, as they make their way from being a fallen champion to being, again, a contender for one of the greatest volley- high school volleyball teams in Japan. And it follows this uh, young, this freshman, first year, uh, Hinata Shoya, who is Unusually short for a volleyball player, but he dreams of being the ace of his high school volleyball team because he had once seen uh, a player known as the Little Giant playing at nationals for Karasuno. So he applies to Karasuno and makes it there and wants to become the next Little Giant, the next ace of his team. And there he meets his uh, middle school rival, uh, Kageyama, who is a genius prodigy setter, and uh, they uh, they 
strike up an unusual team teamwork friendship uh relationship frenemy relationship frenemy relationship right yes they hate each other but they also trust each other uh unconditionally and they become this uh rising star known for this uh quick attack that no one else can do and with their help they they help uh Right, rise, raise this team up to being the next best team. And I've talked about this anime several times on Slash Film Daily, which you can also hear me uh, every now and then for on slashfilm.com. And uh, I just want to talk about it again because I love it and I am obsessed with it and I can't stop thinking about it. I love boys. <laughs> <laughs> I love boys? Is that you said? What, I love boys? I love boys. And you that's love what, the boys. That's what this anime comes down to because <laughs> it is the purest, most beautiful form of guys being dudes. Emotional sports boys. Emotional yeah. sports boys. It is a sports anime in which nothing matters but the sport of volleyball. Do these kids have external lives outside of volleyball? Who cares? It's volleyball. <laughs> That's all that matters on this show. All of volleyball the is life. Yes. Volleyball is life. All the character ve- development, all of the drama happens on the court. And everything that you see happen to these characters in their arcs happens, be- uh, revolves around volleyball. And it's beautiful. And it's wonderful. And you get emotional <laughs> catharsis out of boys getting a block or boys making a great spike. And I say boys because there are a couple, a handful of female characters who basically have zero lines up until then. But when they show up, I don't care because it's all about the boys. Yeah, the team manager is a girl and that's like a thing. Yeah, Yeah. Let's hear it for the boys! So I say this because (laughs) there's, there's so much like conversation about how, uh, you know, Boy, there's the, there's there there are problems. All right, I'm saying this wrong. Are you, are you okay? I love, I love Haikyuu so much. She's, just, she's remembering Haikyuu and all she's, the emotions it gives her. It she's gives OD'ing so many on boys right now. I think she's had too much boys. Yeah. <laughs> too many boys. All right, there's this one viral video from a couple of years ago. I remember where yes. there's just a bunch of boys in a bathroom singing the. <laughs> the Mortal Kombat song together. And it's like the most pure version, distillation of of dumb boyhood and friendship that I could I that I have witnessed. <laughs> and I feel like Haikyu is basically that as an anime. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um it probably makes no sense. It's a very specific niche reference that I'm sure no one else would have gotten except for me. But it's just a it's about this love for the sport and how the sport brings them together and how it's their entire world and how if that world shatters in any case, you feel it and you empathize so deeply with these characters, even if it's about volleyball, a sport that I've never cared about before. And even if it's about these characters who are, you know, start off as archetypes and stereotypes from the beginning, but rise to be such wonderful characters that you come to 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 cherish and shelter it's like feel like you raise them so it all comes down to haiku is the the platonic ideal of the sports anime and one of the best animes that i have 
seen in recent yeah. years. It's a Is really she, beautiful piece of storytelling. I'm very, I'm very glad you brought this up, by the way, because I, I powered through Haikyuu when it uh, when it aired in like 2014. Both seasons are on Netflix right now. It there are so much sports anime. There's so much there's sports anime for everything, right? There's sports anime for badminton, I believe. Like just minor sports, nothing. Haikyuu is like the the ultimate. You want to root for these guys. You want to root for these underdogs. You want them to succeed story. Um, and actually, now that I think of it, I made a Ted Lasso reference. And uh, Ted Lasso really feels like real life sports anime in a certain way. So anyway, if you want to get into like that vibe and you just want to like root for something and something that's like optimistic and something you want to like wrap your, you know, get wrapped up in the drama of it. Uh, Haikyuu was fantastic. It was a good introduction to the crazy world of sports anime. And uh, maybe we should just uh, we, we should just do a sports anime podcast. HG. I would be yeah. happy to go on yeah. that. I've only seen Let's one sports Hajime anime, no and it's Haikyuu. Hajime no Ippo. Let's talk about boxing. But yeah, great suggestion. Sounds like it might be your subgenre, HT. It sounds like <laughs> you might need to watch more of it, because I have a feeling there's probably boys in lots of those. <laughs> there is a lot. That's Haikyuu, H-A-I-K-Y-U, exclamation, exclamation. It's streaming right now on Netflix, right? Streaming on uh, Netflix. Yep. It's all streaming on Hulu. And uh, after the first two seasons, which are only available on Netflix, uh, it's the rest of the, sh- the episodes are on Crunchyroll.com. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right. That is what HT has been watching this week. This episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every single day, Mubi premieres a new film from iconic directors to emerging auteurs there's always something new to discover. And with Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. I'm telling you, there is nothing like this. This is the best of the best. A cinephile's dream. Movies that I'm sure... no, I know our audience, and I know you all know movies. There are movies here you don't know, but you should. This is a an absolute treasure trove of stuff from every decade, uh, organized in really interesting ways. A new movie every single day, but then there's also uh, Cannes Film Festival movies from uh, uh, many, many years. Documentaries, modern masterpieces, uh, women with movie cameras is a, an entire topic. This is a phenomenal curated list of some of movies that you need to know. These are movies you need to know. And you can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash filmcast. That's M-U-B, like boy, I, dot com slash filmcast. You get a whole month of great cinema for free. There's an entire section of just shorts. Where else can you find incredible shorts like Meeting the Man, James Baldwin in Paris, or a short called The Recorder Exam, which is made in South Korea in 2011. There's even a Popeye the Sailor Man meets Sinbad the Sailor short from David Fleischer in 1936. It's such a, an eclectic, interesting mix of movies. You got to check this out. Movie.com slash filmcast. Check it out. You're going to like it. Let's get to a few things I've been watching this week. Uh, so I had a chance to watch a movie called... Actually, before I, I mention this, I should mention that if you want to recommend things for us to watch, there is a very easy way to do that. 
all you got to do is use the hashtag slash tag on Twitter. And uh, if you want to check out people's recommendations, just search for the hashtag slash tag on Twitter. So useful. Get on that. Hashtag slash tag. I had a chance to check out the Alex Aja movie Oxygen, which is streaming right now on Netflix. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from the internet. A woman wakes up in a cryogenic chamber with no recollection of how she got there, and she must find a way out before running out of air. Mm. Uh, this is a movie that we've, stars... We've all been there. Yeah, <laughs> this movie stars Melanie Laurent, uh, and she is awesome in this movie. And it takes, yeah, it takes place basically entirely in one location, um, mostly, you know, and I won't say exactly why that's the case, but um, suffice it to say that I think it's a fairly interesting entry into the one location genre. I Hmm. believe that it was uh, filmed during COVID uh, and uh, suffice the themes, you know, the title of the movie is obviously very relevant for uh, our times. I think the movie wants to be this big allegory about what we're going through as well as um, be like kind of this tense horror uh, genre piece. I don't know that it really fully succeeds. Um, I don't know that there's a lot of tension, um, even though I think we're supposed to feel tension. And I think here's the problem of why I don't think we feel tension. Have you guys seen these other like one location movies? Sure. Like uh, Buried. Buried. Yeah, uh, he, did, he did phone. crawl a couple of years ago, but not not quite the same. Phone booth. Yeah. Crawl isn't right. quite a one yeah. location place. It's like one house, one yeah. house movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say crawl. Yeah, the is that that's also Alex Audra, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. Is pretty great good crawl. actually. Barry's good. Crawl is surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know that crawl would be like. It's definitely one location, but it's not like literally. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. ten cubic feet or whatever it is, like of space, right? Which is what like buried mm-hmm. is, and the tension. Like, I, I didn't think buried was a great film, even though it stars my friend Stephen Dobolowski in it. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think it was a great film, but f- fundamentally, the premise of the movie is like Ryan Reynolds is inside a coffin. He wakes up inside a coffin, and he needs to figure his way out before uh, he runs out of air. Like that's the premise, and it's like, oh, at the end of the movie, you're going to get an answer as to whether he achieves that or not. And the problem with oxygen, I think, one of the problems with oxygen is that you don't know where the character's cryogenic chamber is. You know what I mean? At the and so because you don't know it, it's like, okay, she's going to run out of air, but like, is there literally like you know a hundred people outside that can help her? Like right outside the chamber, like. You know, is she underground? Is she in space? Like, we we have no idea where the chamber is. And the movie derives a a great deal of its plot momentum from you finding out slowly what's actually happening with her. And that, to me, is is interesting. It's an interesting way to experience a movie, but it's not really a tense way to experience a movie for me. Um, So I found the movie's, like impact on me emotionally and physically like i would get super tense during another movie i didn't really get tense during this movie i found it to be limited in in its impact on me but i still think melanie laurent does a great job i think like there is a really uh let's just say interesting plot to this film uh like it, it is a take on this genre with a solution that i have not seen before and so if that is intriguing to you then I think it's worth checking out. But 
uh, I don't know that it really succeeds as like a horror thriller. In my Dave, mm-hmm. I have a question uh, for you. Yes, go ahead. Do you think by nature of this closed room, closed space premise that the tension is thus artificially created and that and the biggest piece of tension is already introduced right off the bat, so then it can only go down from there? It's something that you can't really fully get involved with because it's already it's already there. I think it's a great point. I think you're, you're basically saying like you're already at the beginning. The person is already stuck in the thing. Like that is, it can't really get more tense than that if they're going to spend the whole time in the thing, right? In the mm-hmm. in the container, basically, yeah. right? I, I think that's a great point. Um, and and that's the thing is this movie tries to find a way out of that, right? By means that I'm going to not even allude to specifically because I I don't want to spoil the surprise. I'm being extremely vague. If any of you end up watching this movie, you're going to be like, wow, Dave Chen did not prepare me for this. And that's the objective of what I'm saying right now. Um, so <laughs> suffice to say, I think you're a great, great point, HT. And I think it's very hard to generate tension in a situation like this. I mean, I think like even in a movie like Locke, which took place entirely in a car, and there's like an answer that you're going to get at the end of that movie as to mm-hmm. whether he's going to continue driving in that direction in his car. I think, you know, some people love that movie. I was not an enormous fan. I don't know. I just feel like I haven't yet seen a movie I feel that really nails it. Pro- probably Buried is my favorite one of these movies still. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, yeah. Buried is not like, I don't think it's a great film. Um, but I all, I think they're all interesting. They're all kind of valiant efforts at like making this setting interesting. And I think Oxygen is a really interesting entry into that. So those are my thoughts on Oxygen, which is streaming right now on Netflix. Um, I still I think it's worth checking out. Yeah. I don't want to uh, jump the queue and I don't even really have this as part of my, what I've been watching, but I did check out that show solos and it just seems appropriate to bring up right now in the context of, have you heard of this? Oh yeah. Is this on yeah, um, yeah. prime video? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of yeah, uh, yeah. short kind of sort of sci-fi tales with really big actors where they're the only actor in it. Mm. Uh, and that's the whole premise is like, it's them most of the time talking to themselves in mm-hmm. some version. Uh, I watched three different episodes and, and was not moved by any of them particularly. Um, but it, it is a, an interesting sort of salvo in the same regard of like, mm-hmm. how do you, can an actor by themselves be, you know, carry an entire piece for an extended period of time? It, they're all interesting experiments and kind of a relic of a fascinating relic of this time, right? Like we're going to look back on this and be like, remember when they made a bunch of movies where like people were in one location, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it will just very little of it is directly about COVID. It's obliquely referring to COVID as in the case of oxygen. Yeah. But it's just kind of like, yeah, there was a time when people just made movies that were very, very kind of like stripped down and simple. And they are of varying levels of success. I'm sorry you didn't enjoy solos on Prime Video, Jeff. I've heard a lot of great things about it. Really? Um, oh, yeah. I, maybe I just – they're all – it's an anthology series. Right. So all of them are different. And I just picked – I picked the first one, which I really didn't like. And uh, then I sort of picked two more others at random based on the actors in them and did not – was not uh, impressed by any of them that I watched. I, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, well, speaking of anthology movies, I watched a, a few short films – from an anthology series called Nine Short Films About Technology. Yeah, Very descriptive title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is on Hulu right now, and I watched like three of them. Each episode is 10 minutes. So very easy to get through all of them in, in like a, the time you'd normally watch a movie in. And 
it's kind of like the way I would describe it is like a realistic version of Black Mirror. Hmm. Mm. Uh, so it's like Black Mirror, but not like over the, you know, Black Mirror is like, what if technology, you know, and this is more like, what if a normal thing happened with technology? That's basically what <laughs> nine short films about technology is. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, there was uh, one in particular I found uh, quite affecting. Uh, and it was episode three. Uh, episode three, which uh, is called... Um, I think an old film plays at a wedding. So if, if I could recommend one of them, it would be that, that. Check out that one. And I thought, this is pretty trenchant in its observations and uh, overall pretty well done. So I'd recommend it. It's nine short films about technology. It's on Hulu right now. Uh, another thing I had a chance to watch was a new Apple TV Plus series called Physical. Have you guys heard of this series? Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, it's about Rose Byrne. Uh, who plays a character who kind of I uh, my my understanding is I only seen the first episode but she kind of rises up the ranks of uh, the jazzercise industry <laughs> uh, in the eighties <laughs> yeah just what I really wanted to know about yeah Tell I me think more. this this the jazzercise industrial complex <laughs> so I really love Rose Byrne I think she's been great in everything she's been in in particular. I think I really kind of fell for her as an actor in uh, Damages, the mm-hmm. FX original series. Oh, yeah. But yeah, she was yeah. also great in, like, uh, Bridesmaids, you know, and other things, like, uh, uh, comedies, like uh, Neighbors and such. She's right? such so a she's so good. stealer in, like, yeah. in every comedy she's in. Mm-hmm. Bridesmaids, yeah. Spy, she's so good Spy. in. Spy. Right? Oh, so man. funny. It's so interesting that she made that pivot into being, like, the go-to com- comedy woman in that kind of crew you know in that uh yeah. that um you know that the seth uh, seth rogan like crew mm-hmm. yeah uh and uh she's fantastic she can she can do drama and comedy uh, it seems effortlessly she's she's very talented well if you are looking for her to pivot back into drama slash dramedy i feel like a physical is actually a good entryway into that so you know the main draw for me is seeing her seeing like why she chose this role and um, what what drew her to this? I would say this is a very good companion piece to the uh, show I recommended last week on the podcast. Kevin can fuck himself, which is on AMC Plus. Both physical and Kevin can fuck himself deal with um, societal expectations of women, and the, honestly, some of the some of the interactions between Rose Byrne and her husband in this show, physical, could have happened between Annie Murphy and her husband in Kevin can fuck himself. Um, so I think they're kind of interesting companion pieces. But this one is like, if Martin Scorsese directed Kevin Come Fuck Himself, I think you get something like physical. Uh, mm. The show looks beautiful, and the camera work is very dynamic. A lot of like, just like st- steady cam, like running straight up to someone's face when they get out of a car and stuff yeah. like that. It's the Itania guy, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, Craig Craig Gillespie, right? Um, who also did? Didn't he also do uh, Cruella? Um, so yeah, mm. uh, I, I enjoy his work. I think it's very like dynamic and I, uh, I enjoy watching it, but yeah. Uh, so the show is physical. I watched episode one and, uh, I'm pretty into it. I think it's, uh, it's worth checking out. And I think this is a great kind of showpiece for Rose Burns talents. So I feel like Craig uh, Gillespie has started to carve out a niche for complicated, very mm-hmm. flawed women, which I think is an interesting, <laughs> you know, cause we yeah. have I, Tanya, and then we have Cruella and now physical which i haven't seen yet but i love rose burden and everything yeah yeah yeah. i I agree it's an interesting niche but uh for sure 
Uh, I'd recommend checking it out. I, I plan to continue watching it. So um, the show is physical. And finally, quick shout out to Rick and Morty uh, season five premiere. Did any of you watch the season five premiere? Not yet. No. But you it know is... what? Between this and uh, Tuca and Birdie coming back, I kind of I got to get some Adult Swim action. Adult Swim action. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the uh, Rick and Morty season premiere is actually free on YouTube right now, is my uh. understanding. So you can check it out there. Uh, uh, here, here's my 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 uh, mixed review of the season premiere is it it is a solid Rick and Morty episode. Like for the really great Rick and Morty episodes. There are some episodes that are so brilliant. I, I literally have to like walk around, like take a walk around my neighborhood and like think about it for like 30 minutes because of like how amazing it is. And um, I don't know that this rises to that level, but there is like ideas introduced in this episode that are kind of like inspired by, for instance, I would say Christopher Nolan's Interstellar that uh, just leave me thinking deeply about like what the show is trying to say and uh all the stuff that's happening in the show i think the 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 premiere is a little bit overstuffed there's like a one too many subplots in this episode but uh it is still profound it still comes from creators that clearly love a lot of the science fiction that we grew up with and so uh just a shout out rick and morty season five check it out it's back on the air uh and that is what i have been watching this week Devinger, why don't you hit us up with uh, what you've been watching? Sure, a couple of things. Uh, I was surprised to find yesterday that uh, Evil, one of my favorite shows of, was it last year or 2019? Um, but the Robert and Michelle King show, the creators of The Good Wife and The Good Fight, decided to do a supernatural drama series. And I loved the first season of Evil. It reminds me of like my classic 90s TV shows of a, a team gets together, and Saul's cases. I love it. Um, stars Mike Coulter as a priest who is uh, basically also uh, working to solve these cases. Or He's not a priest yet. He's a priest in training, but he's also working to uh, disprove miracles, I believe. And his team includes Asif Manvi as the tech guy, because of course, and Katja Herbers as a sort of like clinical psychologist to help determine if people are actually possessed or if they're just psychopaths. So it, it's a really interesting team because they do redo the sort of like X-Files dynamic of people who believe in supernatural stuff. And then Asif Manvi and uh, Kaja Herber's characters are basically the classic skeptics. Um, I really loved season one. It ended on such a huge cliffhanger, which I can't talk about here. Um, but uh, it's certainly like, this is a show that dares to take some crazy chances and on when it was on CBS on the first season, it did some crazy things. And apparently, um, I didn't even realize this happened this year in May. Uh, they announced that they were moving it officially from CBS to Paramount Plus. So now they just have the full like scope of streaming to to really tackle the story. And I hear the writers, the Kings, who I love very much. Um, I hear they're aiming to go even darker now. That they they can actually you know they don't have to worry about CBS. So I really dug the first episode. It's all on Paramount Plus right now. If if you're using that for the Star Trek and whatnot, check out Evil. I think these folks are making some of the best TV shows around right now. Apparently, The Good Fight is also coming back this week, which I I'm just super excited for. Um, I feel more and more alone every time I talk about these shows, right? Because it's a very specific set of uh, TV nerds who really like their stuff. But more people should be watching it. And if you like 
supernatural drama. You want a bit of X-Files in your life. Um, it's also a beautiful show at times. Uh, check out Evil. It's a ton of fun. I've heard so many good things about the good fight, and it's just like that's just not a thing that I don't think is ever going to happen for me. You know, probably. I mean, probably because, not because it's but, like, am I really going to get through seven twenty-three episode long series you know, seasons about the Good Wife? You, I, you it, don't have to watch the Good Wife. Like it, it is a it is a reboot in a sense. Like it brings back some characters that we like, but it is entirely new people. Kind of, it's all centered on new people. So. It's a, I, I think you can actually go in cold into the good fight. And once you feel how awesome that show is, you will you will want to go back and watch seven seasons of The Good Wife. All right. Uh, well, the the show that Devinder mentioned is Evil Season 2, and it's streaming right yes. now on Paramount+. Plus. By the way, um, quick shout out. I don't know how long this deal is going to last, but uh, Amazon right now is offering like a bunch of channels oh. um, for a dollar uh, per month for two months. Uh, if you sign up and you're you, you don't already subscribe to the channel, so I like subscribed to like a like Showtime and um, AMC Plus and like a bunch of channels recently because yeah. they have this cool deal. So, so it sounds, sounds like a good deal, Dave. Are they automatically going to unsubscribe you when that deal is over? <laughs> uh, you 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 joke, but I actually I have received emails where they're like, hey, by the way, like FYI, like your your uh, trial period's ending and it's going to renew at this time. You know, right, I, but I, no, they were telling you it's going to renew, right? Yeah, right, right. I, I found okay. it to be quite considerate to the way they handle it personally um but uh correct it's uh you 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 are what you're doing the point of the the point of the deal is so you keep subscribing is my understanding so exactly uh but yes i i think they are generally quite good about like um if you they they don't want to like you to keep subscribing if you're not going to use it is my under like the way that i perceive being a customer Mm -hmm. um okay what else have you been watching also want to shout out season two of Love, Death, and Robots, which is a really fun anthology series created by um, David Fincher and Tim Miller. Uh, basically, it's all there in the title. It's like a series of like animated sci-fi shorts uh, that you know goes from like comedy to drama and action. It's all over the place. Uh, I really liked season one, although I thought some of the actual shorts were. There's at least one that just felt like super uh, misogynistic in a way, and just like try hard you know gross guy thing um but this season i think overall is really interesting um there's another john scalzi written short automated customer service that feels like a hilarious little um you know sort of like a if smart homes go bad thing um but with more violence that you could have than you could have in a pixar thing so if you're gonna watch any of these like definitely check out the scalzi stuff so in volume two it's automated customer service in volume one, it is um, when the yogurt took over. It's when uh, <laughs> some fermented yogurt becomes sentient and takes over the human race. It's pretty fantastic. It's hilarious. Those are, those are great titles. Great titles. For great. He's, I, he's so good. I've been watching um, The Sopranos recently mm-hmm. to prepare for... Um, there's they actually, I mean, part of it is for just for pleasure, but part of it is because there is a Sopranos prequel movie coming out this fall mm-hmm. um, that I'm hoping I can convince you guys to review, but we'll see. Okay. Um, I love and, Sopranos. Uh, Are you kidding? I, I mean, I'd be down with that. Yeah, excellent. I love Sopranos. Um, By the way, and, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, like, the Sopranos, that's a show that really mastered the art of a really good episode title. 
Like they have some really <clears throat> good they episode know. titles. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, hey, real quick, just because I looked it up. Yeah. Uh, this ninety nine cent for two months thing on Amazon is probably. <laughs> I'm going to do it, but yeah. it's probably not going to be active when anyone is hearing this. Because it ends tomorrow. Oh uh, well, well, people. Well, tomorrow is Prime Day still. So by the time they listen to this, it's still a possibility. Okay. Well, so maybe, yeah. but just good. just so you know, if you didn't listen to this the day this episode was released, you well, probably well, can't. We're do not it. speaking to those people ever, Jeff. You know? <laughs> oh. The only people we're speaking to are the people who listen to the day the episode's released. So. <laughs> I forgot. Um, we our, hate our anyone have that waits. Absolutely no shelf life whatsoever. So yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, thank you for the call out. Hey, it's Jeff jumping in here to tell you about our sponsor, Brightside. Now, dealing with anxiety or depression can be paralyzing, but you should know that you're not broken and you're not alone. And when you want help, Brightside is there for you. Brightside offers personalized, life-changing anxiety and depression care from your own home. It is unfortunate but true that most mental health providers make getting help exhaustingly difficult. Or you get the same treatment as everyone else and you don't feel any better. But Brightside offers help for the full spectrum of anxiety and depression conditions. So no matter what you're feeling, you'll get a treatment plan tailored for your specific needs on your schedule. Just go to brightside.com slash filmcast. Take a quick free mental health assessment. And within 48 hours, you're connected with your expert provider to start your personalized treatment plan. Now... I can tell you I've been having a rough time over the last year or two myself. And whether you choose therapy, medication, or both, all plans follow the highest clinical standards are based on American Psychiatric Association guidelines. And 85% of Brightside members feel better within 12 weeks. And it's affordable. With a flat monthly fee and no hidden costs, you get all the help you need without worrying about a big bill. Plus, with Brightside's Better Care Guarantee, you can get a full refund within 30 days, no questions asked. So join thousands of Brightside members taking back their lives. Take your free mental health assessment and get up to $100 credit for your first month of treatment on brightside.com filmcast. That's brightside.com filmcast. B-R-I-G-H-T-S-I-D-E dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Hey, I got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Hawthorne. What does your personal care routine say about you? Whether you keep it simple or have a 10-step plan, premium grooming products make all the difference in how you look and feel. With Hawthorne, you can get the most out of your personal care routine with high-quality shampoo, body wash, and hand soaps, even a luxurious sandalwood shaving gel, all made without sulfates, parabens, and other harsh chemicals. Hawthorne is a premium grooming brand that tailors your personal care routine to your unique profile. First, you take their quiz and they asked me really simple things like, what are my skincare goals? The quiz is so simple. It takes no time at all. And at the end, I got my own essentials bundle with all the products tailored for my body type and lifestyle. I got soap. I got facial wash. I made my wife very, very happy because she's been telling me to take care of my skin for a long, long time. And Hawthorne made it so simple, so tailored to me that I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to research which products to get. I just started taking care of my skin the way I should have been doing for years and years and years. And Hawthorne takes the risk out of shopping for personal care by giving you free shipping on your orders and returns. 
with high-quality self-care products tailored specifically to your needs from Hawthorne, looking your best has never been easier. Take Hawthorne's quiz today and get started on your personalized self-care routine by going to hawthorne.co and use promo code FILMCAST to get 10% off your first purchase. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O, promo code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, hawthorne.co, promo code FILMCAST. All right, Devendra, anything else you've been watching? Another thing I just wanted to mention, by the way, for when the yogurt took over is you should just watch that because it's really funny and tight, but it's also vo- uh, narrated by Maurice LaMarche, who I love his voice. He's Brain from Pinky the Brain. That beautiful voice. If you want to hear it uh, resonating through your ears again, definitely go check it out. And there, there's such good stuff. There's one, um, The Drowned Giant, which is based on a J.G. J. G. Ballard story, just about a giant shows up on a beach. And people check it out, and then people suck because it's a J.G. <laughs> Ballard story. Mm. So, but that's it, you know. And I love the different animation styles. Um, every everything I've seen so far this season is worth watching. So definitely check it out. I feel like these anthology shows can just like disappear in the Netflix algorithm, but this one's pretty good. Cool. So yeah, Devendra is referring to some of the best episodes of Love, Death, and Robots, which is an anthology animated series that's now on Netflix. Devendra, I really appreciate. The highlights. You you actually saved me a lot of time. Whenever these anthology yeah. things happen, I'm always like, "What are the Pick best the good ones. ones? Give me the give me the best ones." And if I like those, I'll watch the rest of them. You yes. know. And so, yes. Devendra has just named the best ones of season two of Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. So um, wait, so you want to watch all of the best ones? And if you like the best ones, you're going to watch the ones that people don't consider to be the best. Well, I'll say that you may get the, some enjoyment from it. Yeah, you, know? you might get some, yeah. you know, and it's 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 kind of like. If you want to try a new type of drink right, mm-hmm. or a new type of food, you'd eat like the top shelf version of it. You know, it'd be like, I want to try the best. I've never had pizza before. I want to try the best pizza you have to, to gauge whether or not I'd like that pizza. Mm-hmm. You're like right? the opposite of, you... of a completionist, Dave. That, that makes <laughs> zero sense to me. That, if you try the best version of pizza, that doesn't mean you like pizza. It means you like the best version of something. But if I but if I ate <laughs> if the worst the version, version if I it. ate like crappy pizza, then I yeah. would never know if I actually liked pizza, but I just ate a bad version of it. Mm-hmm. But also, mm-hmm. if you have the best version, then wouldn't you be disappointed by everything that happens after it? Yes. That's what true. do you think it's, my it's life is, HP? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think I go about feeling every day? Um, or trying to feel. The crushing yeah. disappointment of reality, <laughs> of, like, of existence. I'm the guy who eats everything on my plate in reverse best order. Are you serious? Right? I, yes. I will eat my vegetables first, and then I, I will oh save my... the thing I'm most excited about for last. I'm with Jeff here. I'm, I always save my favorite thing for last. But then the problem with that approach is you get too full. You're, yeah, you're full by the time you get to the Yeah, I, I think what we've learned here is we're I'm all Italian? fundamentally broken. We're just all broken people. <laughs> Uh, I, delayed gratification is a sign of of maturity, David. I, I, I'm going to say actually that I, I do the same thing. I actually also save the best part of the meal for last. Like if there's like a protein that I'm really into, yeah. I'll like save it for the end. That is right. not the same though as like if I'm sampling <laughs> something, right? If I'm sampling something, I want to decide is this a thing I could like? In the, is this a thing I want to explore more in the future? Right. Mm-hmm, Therefore, mm-hmm. give me the best version of it. Bring me your <laughs> finest. 
But then everything, it's like what HT just said. Everything Bring me your after champion. That is going to yeah. I think there's also a difference like, between something that's like the best version of something and something that embodies that thing. You it's know also, what I mean? well, sure. a I characteristic think we, edition of it, right? Mm-hmm. Is what you're this saying? conversation right? changed. When we started talking about pizza, it's, it's, these aren't all one thing. These are all different right. stories telling well, but different that's, I stories. I think it's even you know? more, that's even more acute in this case because you're saying, I want the best episodes. Which I guess is a fair thing to want, Look, Jeff, but then it, it after you watch the best episodes, you will then slum it with the not so good episodes. You, you know what, Jeff? I think I see why you're insulted right now. I, I see why. Exactly. It's because any piece of information conveyed to you just sends you spiraling. <laughs> That's Jeff. it. That's it. It's, it's an analogy, and an, I don't know if you know this, but analogies are not one to one perfect what? representations mm. of the concept. Uh-huh. So. Uh, no, I, was, I, I ceased talking about the analogy and started picking up the actual <laughs> practice that you want to engage well, in you with were regard to this to series. The analogy back to the actual situation in ways that were, you know, that made the analogy seem inadequate, which is not, you know, it's a perfectly fine analogy, Jeff. It's like, not defending the analogy. It's like Google <laughs> translating analogies. Like you put it one through one Listen. through one language yeah. and it comes out another language and you put it through again and now nothing works. Let nope. me illustrate a metaphor of your analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it'd be like uh or like vodka you know you know that's it's like i'm gonna try the best vodka there is and then if i like that maybe i'll try other vodkas you know okay yeah. whatever people people don't you know jeff certainly not getting a sympathetic ear from jeffrey so <laughs> let's move on yeah. um, there's no such thing as good vodka by the way so let's just put it that way wow i kind um, of agree with that wow. actually okay so love quickly death and shout robots. out yes lo- lo- yeah love death and robots season two it's on netflix right now check it out um, and again, Devinder, hit us up with the main episode, the episodes that are good. Um, yogurt factory thing. thing. No, well, that's the, the first season. <laughs> okay, uh, when yeah. the yogurt took over his first season, goodness. Um, automated customer service is the John Scalzi episode of this season. Um, the drowned giant is the one based on the JG Ballard story. That one's directed and uh, adapted by Tim Miller. I didn't mention this, but I think pop squad, which is a sort of, uh, Blade Runner-esque noir story about an overpopulation squad um, I think is it's really solid. I think mm. it's really well done so it's worth watching. Awesome. Alright. I, I am literally going to watch those after I finish publishing the episode tonight. So, um, David, are you familiar with the candy runts? <laughs> with a I, I Z? Am. I am. I think I we have to move away from all food base. Unpleasant, to quote Futurama. Shocky and unpleasant? How dare you? Uh, <laughs> I have been unable to find runts in my grocery store and so I have taken... To specifically ordering runts from Amazon mm-hmm. because I love runts. I'm so curious where this is going. <laughs> now, if you're familiar with runts, you know that that each runt is based on a different fruit. Uh-huh. And the runt, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's a brilliant concept, honestly. The runt is <laughs> shaped in the form of that fruit. So even in the dark, you know exactly which fruit to expect in your mouth. Uh-huh. It's a brilliant it's it's truly yeah. next level I'm as with far you. as candy goes. I'm with you. Okay. I'm with you. Yeah. Now, not all runts are <laughs> are my favorite, right? Mm-hmm. Let, let me tell you right very- now, Jeff, every time you say runt, I'm hearing something very, very different. That sounds similar, <laughs> and uh, filling that into this conversation is just taking me places. So, all right, when I'm please eating, keep going. when I'm eating runts, <laughs> I <laughs> there there are I have favorite runts, and I have less favorite runts. There's a hierarchy of runt that I enjoy. Right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the the orange runt, which 
shocking to even me that is not my favorite i usually love orange flavored things the orange runt is at the bottom of my list the banana runt very good i would not have guessed this my favorite runt is the grape runt (coughs) now i tell you all of this to say Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when i get a handful of runts i eat them in reverse delicious order so that I end up with only the purple grape runts mm-hmm. at the end so that I have I have now ensured that the last handful of runt will be my favorite runt. Let, let me tell you something that my wife says to me often, exact quote, that incredibly long speech gave me no new information. <laughs> <laughs> no new information? Zero? Literally zero? Uh, you know, also, this is disappointing, Jeff, because I was about to go off on a massive rant myself, but you kind of stole my thunder. I'm going to have to save it for the after dark, okay? All right. Fair it's, about this, it's about this thing about the robots that Devinger brought up. So yeah. that'll be an after dark topic available to our patrons. It's okay. Um, HG and I will just be talking about anime over here. So yeah. yeah. You guys and do boys. your thing. love death and robots the name of the show season two but yes uh, jeff uh, i get it your 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 approach to food also applies to your approach to runs i think that was your point yes um so love death and robots i'm saying it's a way of life runs are a way of life i i I get it i get it okay davinger anything else you want to give a quick shout out to something final shout out for we are lady parts which i talked about last week i finished it it's on peacock it is uh it is fantastic. It is so so damn good. Um it's about a group of uh young Muslim women who are forming a rock band called Lady Parts. And uh it's it's fantastic. It's funny. I love the music. Their songs are great, but they also like um there are these like sing-along <laughs> there are these car ride scenes at some point of them just like joyously singing pop songs that we would all know but just fully loving it. And I love that the show exists. So I want everybody to check it out. It's definitely worth watching. One of the best comedies on TV right now. It's We Are Lady Parts. We Are Lady Parts streaming right now on Peacock. All right, Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching? It goes orange, banana, apple, strawberry grape. (laughs) That's ascending order. Just to clear it up. That's the ascending order of deliciousness. All right. Um, I... With much zeal and excitement, watch the first two episodes of Dave Season 2, which was a series that I absolutely loved. I think all of us loved uh, the first season of Dave on FX and was frequently wowed by the, uh, the, the skill and panache with which that show, uh, made me laugh and it actually moved me. It, it was a, a beautiful, beautiful first season with some incredible music, some uh, just laugh out loud, like hurt my sides from laughing so hard moments, some real insightful stuff, uh, talking about some really sensitive issues. It really ran the gamut. I loved the first season of Dave. Can't recommend it higher. So as I said, with much zeal and excitement, I ran. I, I I stayed up until midnight. Were you going to say you ran to watch it? I, I ran to the couch and sat. <laughs> I ran and got some runs, and then I came back to the couch. Um, that's actually a true story. Yeah. The you know I I stayed up until midnight because it was not dropping on Hulu because it plays on you know like actual FX, which who has that? Uh, not me. And, but it was going to drop on uh, Hulu uh, FX on Hulu at midnight on the day it came out. And so I stayed up to midnight and watched both episodes until one o'clock in the morning, which for me is not typical, Uh, but I was so excited. 
Um, and I will say this season seems to be much darker, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. much darker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, affable, likable character of Dave, they've decided to make a true monster. Yeah, uh, he is. They seem to be wanting to make him as unlikable as possible. And I think I think this is uh, to have him redeemed at some point. It, it does seem to be a setup to have him redeemed, but certainly in the first two episodes, which is all I've seen so far of season two, uh, he is a really unlikable protagonist. Yeah. Uh, and the events of season one, at the end of season one, some... So you we'll, know, are you going to spoil his, it? We'll spoil no, I was just going to okay. say his life, you know, his life takes a turn. And so th- this is the fallout of right. that. Yep. Uh, and and I think they are, you know, it's purposeful. Uh, but boy, it, it is much m- less enjoyable to watch him <laughs> in this state. But again, purposeful, and I believe will lead somewhere over the course of this season. But I certainly did not enjoy the first two episodes with the same intensity that I enjoyed the first season. Yeah, um, I watched the first episode of Dave, and I kind of have a, a somewhat of a similar feeling to to you, Jeff. I mean, the first episode of Dave is basically the show's riff on K-pop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of like, you know, it's it's written by an Asian person, and so I, I, I and there's like a lot of Asian people in it, and I, I appreciate the representation. At the same time, like some of the humor did make me uncomfortable because the idea is that like Dave is so terrible and oblivious right that when he's doing things that are kind of really uh ill-advised borderline racist right like unpleasant you're supposed to like understand oh it's the dumb guy doing the stupid things that we're not supposed to aspire to right but like because he was like such a more likable and to some degree like aspirational character in season one yeah it it, it felt it made just made me a little uncomfortable you know um but yeah know, he's clearly a monster in in season two i mean it's right. not like he's just making some bad decisions he's become a completely self-absorbed yeah asshole yeah and um and you have not watched the second episode I haven't, yet i haven't yet so yeah i mean there is it, it goes it gets it, it's it continues to be very dark I, I think it's a show that has something to say, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so, exactly. Like, that's, that's why I'm going to keep watching it. But I'm just like, Me too. the first right. episode, I, I wasn't like, I love this. You know, I didn't feel that way about it. Um, right. But, and, and the, yeah. but he, he's manipulative. He's so, he's very self-absorbed, very selfish. Yeah. Um, and and I think that is all to make a point about uh, the kinds of people he has in his life. And I think the whole point of season two, it seems to be me is going to be for him to crawl out of that hole and make some realizations. Uh, and I hope that's the case because I don't know if, if we just stay in this zone, I'm going to love this show in the way that I loved season one. Yeah. All right. We will see, but that's Dave it's on FXX or you can stream it on Hulu right now. Right. Jeff Kanata, anything else you're watching? Yeah. I checked out the documentary that's on Netflix called black holes, the edge of all we know. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but uh, it tracks this project Mm -hmm. that basically created an array of the biggest telescopes on Earth to look at uh, a black hole, which is the M85 black hole, which is so unfathomably far away from Earth that there is a sequence about 20 minutes into the documentary that just sort of illustrates how far it is. And that alone is worth watching. Mm. It's like the fact that we sitting on this little rock floating through space can observe something 
that far away, it's, it's not even comprehensible to me as a human being. It's just, it's just bonkers that we're able to even take a picture of it. And that's the whole process that is uh, chronicled here in this documentary is the taking of photo of a black hole, which has never been done in human history before. Wow. Um, and what, what they say is what, what it takes to take a picture of a black hole that is that far away is a, a telescope the size of Earth, right, which we don't have and can't make. So the next best thing is to use all of the biggest telescopes we have that are strategically positioned all around the planet, one in Hawaii, one in the South Pole, one in, uh, you know, there's one in Australia, I think, all these all around the world. They all have to point at the exact same place in space at the exact same moment and record data at the exact same time, all calibrated to a level of precision that allows for no error, right? Any of the the most microscopic error would throw all of the data off. It is a mammoth undertaking. And if you think about all of these different sites all around the earth doing the same thing at the same time, any one of them experiencing any problematic weather pattern throws off the entire experiment. So it is inherently a compelling and dramatic process that is being chronicled in this documentary. I mean, it is a very dense, chunky uh, documentary. They don't shy away from showing you, you know, mathematicians working on math, which is a lot of what's happening in this documentary. Oh, in parallel to the, the, um, the, tele- the telescope storyline is also a storyline where um, Stephen Hawking and a team around him uh, are working out this equation that may try that may explain a, a paradox that Hawking himself discovered and introduced to the world in the 70s this information paradox where information goes into a black hole and doesn't come out it, that shouldn't the universe shouldn't work that way and no one knows why and these these guys are trying to figure this out and create this equation to to describe it so you get very very dense mathematics and but it, but you know all v- filmed through this human lens uh, of of sort of what the stakes are and who these people are that are trying to devote their lives to these problems. I found it to be a really interesting documentary that I appreciated that it, it respected my intelligence. It, it didn't, I never felt like I was being talked down to. I had to really listen to keep up with it. Um, and and I, I, I recommend it. It's called Black Holes, The Edge of All We Know. Yeah. I'll be checking streaming. this out, Jeff. Thanks. Yeah. 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 I'm going to check awesome. out at least that section that you mentioned. So, um, yeah, it's like 23 minutes, 22, 23 minutes in where uh, it, it like goes to this graph where it shows the scale at which we're talking. It's like, how, how high were you while you were watching this, Jeff? Very. Okay. There we but go. I, yep. and I recommend that to everybody. Yep. Yes, there were some edibles that happened beforehand, but my goodness, well worth it. They should, well have, they it. should have that section on netflix just like fully baked. i think they do there's a new section. there's a new like meditation show that's like <laughs> this is for high people um i haven't watched it yet but i might all right uh again it's black holes the edge of all we know on netflix jeff anything else you're watching yes so for actual years friend of the show my friend dan trachtenberg has been trying to get me to watch an episode of the Chris Gethard show 
called One Man's Trash that is available on YouTube. Uh, this is an episode where another friend of the show, um, whose name just left my head. Uh, oh my God. Well, Why it's a good thing you mentioned that, that he's a friend of the show. Yes. Uh, <laughs> give me a second. Paul Shear. Yeah. Another friend of the show, Paul Shear and Jason Manzukis, guest on the Chris Gethard show. Oh, yes. Uh, our friend Paul, you know, we call him Paul because he's been on the show. We love him, Paul. We yeah. love him. Uh, so this is, I think, back all the way back from like 2010, I want to say, maybe later. Uh, it's so, But actual years, uh, Dan Trachtenberg has been saying, Jeff, you have to watch this. It's the greatest thing ever. I've watched it multiple times. You have to watch it. And then my friend Danish Syed, who's got the best recommend. And then the guy's really just very smart and knows me, you know, in a way that many people don't. Uh, he recommended I watch this and I watched it immediately this week. Um, interesting how that works. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. interesting yeah. that when Danny says it, you do it immediately, but when mm. long time friends and collaborators say it, mm-hmm. it somehow takes a little more time. Yeah. That is kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. it is amazing how, Danish just knows, gets me, you mm-hmm. know, gets yeah. me in a way mm-hmm. that... Danish, mm-hmm. please tell Jeff to watch Mythic Quest, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, have either of you watched this? This is season two, no, episode no. nine of the yeah. Chris Gethard show. It's called One Man's Trashed, Trash. Uh, it is guest starring Paul Shear and Jason Manzukas. Have not watched it. HT, you, you're you a Chris Gethard fan by any chance? I can't say I am, no. Okay. Convince, convince me, Jeff Kanata, in... Uh, it you is know, and extre- the usual suspect's voice. So it is extremely important that if one does decide to watch this, that one goes in as cold as possible. All right. So I will say precious little about what this episode entails, but it is one of the most amazing pieces of media that I've, I've seen because it starts with a very simple premise, but it is a lesson in dramatic tension, in uh, the in in how in drama you can ask a question, and the mere asking of the question can create a a palpable need to know in the audience. Basically, what happens is Paul Shear and Jason Manzukis come to the Chris Gethard show and completely steamroll it and take over and. And, uh, Gethard loses control almost immediately and it is extremely funny but the bit that Gethard sets up goes I, I don't even want to say it, it just I just urge people to watch this I have literally was urged to watch it for actual years <laughs> and it took me a long time but I am you know all all credit to Danish for no I'm just kidding all, Dan Dan Trachtenberg was right. I texted him as immediately. I said, you were so right. Uh, this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Uh, it, it is it is one of those things where I was on the couch watching this on, on my big screen in my living room, bopping up and down on the couch cushion, like bopping up and down with this this giddy energy of what what's going to happen next. It is really something special and there's sort of this like urban there's articles been written about this episode and like what went into it and how it came to be it is something uh and and again and again if you are have any interest in how 
to establish dramatic tension or how to invest in an audience in something, this is like a masterclass. It's really good. Awesome. Well, that's The Chris Gethard Show, Season 2, Episode 9, One Man's Trash. We will link to it in the show notes so you can access it from there. That is what Jeff Kanata has been watching. Hey, everyone. I wanted to let you know that, uh, you know, like many cat owners, everything I do for my cat is rooted in love. Even when they're being super annoying, I always want what's best for them. So even when they're sitting on my lap and I need to get up or they destroy all my new furniture or, you know, I have to let them out several times a day or even when they make a mess in the litter box. I also genuinely love keeping tabs on my cat's health, which just really helps me prepare for future vet visits. That's why I use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter is the best litter for your cat. It changes colors to help you detect early signs of potential illness. I found that really useful because I've had cats who have UTI issues and uh, also kidney troubles. So the color changing just helps you recognize issues super early. And cleanup is easier with Pretty Litter too, uh, especially compared to clay litters. Uh, it has ultra absorbent crystals that traps odor instantly and lasts up to a month. When I use clay litters, they tend to be dirty and uh, honestly just very heavy to carry and scoop up. With Pretty Litter, you're just scooping up poop. Uh, the pee just kind of dissolves. Pretty Litter is also safer for your cat and, uh, you know, the entire household. A lot of clay litters have irritants that can aggravate allergies and asthma. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base uh, does a great job of minimizing mess and dust. And I also appreciate that Pretty Litter gets to my door safely in a small, lightweight bag. Uh, shipping is free, and I never have to worry about storing bulky containers. Uh, I do remember the days when I had to walk around town with heavy litter boxes, and that was just never fun. Love is putting your cat's health first with Pretty Litter. Do what I did and make the switch today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST. All right, folks, why don't we get to weekly plugs real quick? We're going to do weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something we've made or that someone uh, someone else has made that we appreciate. Uh, I will start with a plug. Uh, a few weeks ago, a study was referred to in the L.A. Times that uh, found that a third of all Asian and Pacific Islander roles are Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> that, that checks out. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh-huh. the study basically analyzed 1,300 popular films that were like the top box office films. The, uh, yeah. the other two thirds are the brothers of Dwayne Johnson in movies. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's funny because you say like a third of all Asian and Pacific Islander roles are, and then you could fill in any number of adjectives. But uh, I, don't, I don't think a lot of people would predict Dwayne Johnson as being the answer to that question. <laughs> it's not an adjective um, at all. It's a noun. Yeah, it's a, it's a pro- proper noun, actually. Um, but yes, uh, my uh, guest on Culturally Relevant, Nancy Wong Yoon, was uh, one of the co-authors of a study that found that statistic and many other statistics about Asian representation in Hollywood. 
Uh, we discuss it on the podcast Culturally Relevant. Uh, check it out. Subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. Or just click the link in the show notes. Uh, and it was great to hear her talk about uh, kind of the methodology behind the study and the implications of the study. Uh, and like there are implications that I think actually are going to be kind of relevant in some ways to the movie that we're discussing next week. Um, and I'll go into that a little bit later. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a conversation worth checking out. It's on Culturally Relevant. It's my conversation with Nancy Wong Yoon. Uh, that's my weekly plug. HT, what's your weekly plug? My weekly plug is also a podcast, one that I've plugged before, but I'm going to plug again because it's a great podcast, Trekking Through Time and Space, a Star Trek and Doctor Who podcast that I host with Jacob Hall, fellow Slash Filmer, uh, in which Jacob, a Star Trek fan, and I, a Doctor Who fan, introduce our respective favorite sci-fi shows to each other one episode at a time, started with Star Trek The Original Series and Doctor Who at the Revival from 2005, and have been going slowly through. We have recently uh, finished Torchwood Season 1 on the Doctor Who side and have restarted back to Doctor Who with Season 3. And... Um, have been going strong with with, Doc, with Star Trek, the original series. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash trekking through time and space if you wish to support us. Uh, but also please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all wherever podcasts uh, can be found as well. I am really happy with this podcast. And if you're a fan of either of those shows or if you're a fan of me and Jacob on uh, Slash Film Daily, please check out Trekking Through Time in Space. Cool. Uh, I am a patron. Of the Patreon. Thank so, you. yeah, uh, check out that uh, Patreon as well. Uh, Devinder Hardware, your weekly plug. Yeah, I wrote up a review of the 2021 Toyota Sienna hybrid minivan. And in gas. Wow. So that, that's that's weird for me. Um, I'm really <laughs> getting interested in like family cars and the way we, you know, cart our families around and also getting more into like EVs and hybrid cars and plug in hybrids and things like that. So, I want to test out this minivan because it seemed really cool. It gets like 35 to 36 miles per gallon. Um, it fits seven to eight people. It's beautiful and it doesn't look like a boring old minivan. So I found that pretty cool. So check out my review on Engadget and uh, let me if there are any other cars you want me to check out. I'm really interested in like the uh, the Chrysler Pacifica plug-in hybrid minivan. That one gets like uh, 35 uh, electric miles too. So having a minivan, super great if you have kids because, man, you just need all the room, right? Yeah, my parents yeah. used to drive around to Privia. Do you guys remember Privia? I do not remember that. Yeah, that was I, Sien the uh, predecessor for the Sienna. Huh. Um, and He's they pre-writing the name. Yeah, they, they later acquired a Sienna. But yeah, a Privia, the, uh, old school. Um, old school. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Well, this is the only show that I mentioned it on, so I'm going to mention it again. My Cameo, cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata, is where you can order a bespoke limerick for any occasion. I write limericks specific to you and, and your loved ones for any occasion. I just did a bunch of uh, Father's Day ones that went over like gangbusters. Uh, birthdays are great. Uh, it can be any occasion. In fact, I have um, some that – one person um, had me write them a limerick – to themselves as a kind of a cheer me up because they've been losing a lot of games of online chess, which was a delight. Uh, it's, it's a, there's really no wrong reason to order a limerick and uh, you get it delivered in video form by me with a personalized message. And uh, people have been really digging this. Check out my five-star reviews and uh, all the, all the folks that have delivered them so kind in their, in their comments. 
cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata, and you can order yours today. Let's get to our review of Luca. Wow, Luca, that was hard to watch. You uh, coming? We do not go anywhere near the surface. Got it? Everything good is above the surface. Walking, air, <gasps> the sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding. Definitely look at it. <laughs> Have you ever gone to the human town? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of an expert. today that was from the trailer for luca the newest film from pixar i'm gonna read the plot summary from imdb on the italian riviera an unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and a sea monster disguised as a human Chen Bui, you reviewed luca for slashfilm.com curious what did you think of this film overall I absolutely adored Luca. I encourage you to check out my review on Slashum. I'm actually quite proud of it, and I gave it a rave review there. Uh, but I will repeat a little bit of what I said in my review, in that I think that this is the closest that Pixar has ever gotten to a Studio Ghibli film, both yes. aesthetically and thematically. And I say that with the highest of praise, because... Uh, Enrico Casarosa, the director of Luca, who this is his first time uh, feature, and uh, he had once he had before directed La Luna, which was a Pixar short, very beautiful. I encourage you to check it out on Disney Plus. Uh, had grown up with Miyazaki shows. Actually, he is he's been a longtime fan of Hayao Miyazaki um, works, and you can see a lot of that in the fabric in the DNA of Luca in some of the, the aesthetics, like I said, the characters like um, Julia's father, the cat, some of these designs look very much like they stepped straight out of a Ghibli film, but thematically and atmospherically, there's this loveliness and just happiness with being in the moments with, with being in this low stakes a small scale type of story and just kind of living with these characters. The plot exists, but it doesn't matter as much. And when the plot kicks in at the end, it's only in a sense of impelling, compelling these characters to a spot that they make a grant, a big decision uh, at a crossroads in their lives. And there's just this happiness with, with being, with existing with these characters that I found extremely compelling and lovely and just delightful to watch. And I I think that a lot of people will write Luca off as just being a charming, uh, low-key, lesser Pixar because those stakes are so small. But I think that charming, as, as great a descriptor as it is for Luca, can kind of be the death knell for a film that I think is as great as Luca is, because I don't think small scale or low or low stakes is lesser by any means. And this is going to go into a little bit of a 
a ramble about how I think Pixar, which direction I think Pixar is going. And I, I think Luca presents a really interesting option and direction for Pixar that is more than just topping itself. Because I think Pixar, because it's it's at the, the peak of Western animation, is kind of obs- uh, fixated on one-upping itself. One-upping mm-hmm. itself in its visuals, in its technology, in its uh uh, aspiration to reach that kind of hyper photorealism of being almost so close to reality that it looks like it could be a real animal, real cat or real Harlem streets or something. Um, and doing this and also one upping itself story-wise too, trying to reach these levels of um, trying to explore existentialism and these types of more high concept uh, stories. And I don't think, I don't think it always needs to to do that. And I think that there is a value and uh, just something so wonderful in going to a story that is so well-worn at this point. It's a coming-of-age story about friendship. And that's been told so many times. But Luca does it in a way that it feels so emotionally honest that it's refreshing. I just felt so with these characters that it didn't need to be doing something so fancy and high concept and existential. It just needs to be about these characters and let you live and be with these characters. So I absolutely love Luca. I think it's one of the best Pixar films in years. And I, I, I think it's fantastic. All right. Devendra Hardware, your thoughts on Luca? Yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you, HT. I think this movie is phenomenal because it doesn't try to go the typical Pixar route. And I definitely got a lot of Ghibli vibes throughout this whole thing. Throughout this whole thing, um, you know, the town is named Porto Rosso, which they're just saying Porco Rosso Rosso. many, many times. And I loved it. I love that there is that wordplay in a, in a Disney and Pixar movie. We actually got an email from someone named Carlo who wrote into sliceformcast.gmail.com. He says, I write this to you preemptively. As I've seen other movie reviews online, and they all say that the town name is Porto Rosso as an <laughs> homage to the great movie Porco Rosso. Yep. I'm not disputing it was a big influence. It is on everybody who loves animation. Yet Porto Rosso can also be the combination of Monterosso and Porto Venere, two small towns from Liguria. The director, Casa Rosa, is from here and used to spend his summers in the Cinque Terre, the five I'm, lands I'm of sure. which Monterosso is one. It, it could be um, both are true. Yes. In fact, yes, it's possible. It's I think possible, that but... makes it even better. That yeah. <laughs> makes it an even better reference. Like that's the whole point. Uh, everybody, go watch Porco Rosso. That movie is fantastic. Yes, but, great, great yeah, movie. Everything you're saying, HT, is uh, is absolutely true. I do feel like I'm getting tired of Pixar trying to. What was the last one? Like Soul was like trying to define the nature of existence and our purpose on this life. By giving us a view, you know, of the of the non-existent points, uh, you know, before our souls even fully exist, right? Before they're even fully formed. Not a very Pixar movie needs to do that. They don't all need to or end with, uh, you know, a lone robot saving all of humanity or a group of superheroes stopping a supervillain. This is a movie about two friends learning how to be friends and learning how to be better people to each other and how to live fuller lives. And I cannot think of a more Ghibli movie than that, you know, and that's what I love about studio Ghibli movies. Um, so many of them and my favorites, you know, like Kiki's delivery service or my neighbor Totoro, 
I guess, relatively small stakes things. They're, they're about characters trying to accomplish something in their lives, you know, just trying to take a step forward. And they're about the the friends they meet along the way. And this movie just gets that so well. I love the style of it. I think this is the best a Pixar movie has ever looked. I personally don't like the way Pixar animates humans. I think so far, they've all been kind of ugly. But this one, like, I am digging this style, maybe because it it's a little more. Men. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, it's it's just like, to me, a little more pleasing. Um, it seems like Pixar can't just do humans, though, right? Like, with Coco, it was like, okay, humans, but also skull people, you know, skeleton people. Um, this one, it's humans, but also merman. Uh, Pixar cannot just do one thing I, but as an overall style. Well, I'm just the really digging what they're growing up as here. well, you know, but those yeah. are highly stylized humans. Highly yeah. stylized. I don't, yeah. I, I see, I know like what they were referencing with those styles. I don't think those are like the best looking human characters. Like I, I like this vibe right here. It's very naturalistic. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just like the way these characters look aesthetically. This movie is really pleasing to me, but it's also really chill. It's just chill. It's about friends and good food and, you know, Luca trying to move beyond his overprotective parents. So I, I couldn't help but love it. Um, watched it with my daughter. She's like, she's not fully into this movie yet, but I think the like Ghibli vibes of it will get her on board eventually. So yeah, dug it. All right. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Luca? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about Luca are best summed up in the form of a limerick. For years, Pixar films were revered. Has that reputation disappeared? If you think so, I'd say, watch Luca today. It's boldly, delightfully weird. Nice. I think HT summed it up so beautifully, so eloquently. I agree with everything she said. For me, here's the list. Inside Out, Toy Story 3, Luca. Whoa. Whoa. That's my list. Wow. Okay. So I, I think this this movie is so, so wonderful. Um, I will say I was married on the Amalfi Coast, right, in Cinque Terre. I, we, we hiked Cinque Terre. I rode that train that is in this movie. Um, we went to Ravello where there's literally a sign that says Ravello where they, you know, they walk. So – the, this aesthetic, uh, the sort of Italianness of it, uh, very much speaks to me, and, and, and I adore the look and feel of this place. Uh, but everything that Devendra and HG have said, I will just underline and say, I I also love how it's just the, the dreams of these these characters are just <laughs> so beautifully quaint. You know, and I love that we're rooting for something so simple from from them for them. Uh, it's beautiful. I think this movie has Pixar's best villain, which I guess isn't saying much because I look through all the. There's not really great villains in Pixar movies other than The Incredibles. Really? Yeah, I was going to mm-hmm. say Syndrome. You don't think is a good villain? I think Syndrome <laughs> I, is pretty the good. The only one. What name another villain from a Pixar movie? <laughs> Are we doing Captain, this again? <laughs> yeah, the, the Captain Robot from Wally. You know. I, yeah. I, guess. I, yeah. I agree that the villains are not great in, in yeah. Pixar movies. In but it's also like it shouldn't be. It shouldn't necessarily be about villains either. But yeah, yeah. Steve, Steve Buscemi's character movies in, are when the villain is is the secondary 
antagonist, yes. if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. Steve well, Buscemi's character in Monsters Inc. I thought was pretty good. Mm. But yeah. I, I, oh, lots I, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. trying to suggest oh, yeah. that. Yeah, lots of, yeah. I'm not trying to suggest that uh, there need to be more villains, but I am appreciating how great the villain is in this movie. Mm-hmm. He is so great. I mean, up there with any Disney animated film villain, as far as I'm concerned. L- literally and figuratively cartoonishly evil. <laughs> yes. But, and, and wonderfully quirky and goofy and, and uh, you just, it, it's just a, such a well-realized villain the vocal performance is absolutely top-notch um and i love that this movie you know it does have some big names in it but it doesn't feel like a movie that is you're constantly going who's that famous person's voice which i think happens all too often with a lot of uh, pixar movies and animated movies in general these days um yeah i adore this movie i adore it it's it's lush it's beautiful it's sweet it's pure it's it goes in some goofy, weird places. The the layers of fiction that it asks you to, the, the rule sets that it introduces, I, I, you constantly go, really, movie? We're, st- we're, we're doing this? It's so goofy <laughs> and weird. And I love it. I love it. I love its quirkiness. Uh, I just, I, you know, I can't put it any better than HD did to start off this review. I think... She said it, it perfectly, and, and and I totally agree with everything you guys have said. This is top three Pixar movie for me. Well, guys, I don't time know to what to it up. <laughs> time to time to chin this, to this bad boy. I hate to be the lone voice of dissent here. Um, Do you? <laughs> didn't didn't love it as much as you guys. Um, I, I kind of wish it was more of the movie that you guys are describing, right? I wish it was more of kind of like a hangout movie. We're just spending some wholesome time with these folks. I, I just think it has too much plot to be that movie, which I think it is clearly trying to be. I don't have a problem with small stakes. You know, I, Onward, I quite enjoyed. And that was a movie that was about reattaching some guy's torso to his legs, right? I mean... I'm okay with like this not being about saving the world, uh, but I think that I don't know. It, you know, I used the word "uncanny valley" last week, and so I hate to return back to the concept, but it it kind of felt mm-hmm. like to me like some. Uh, it, it was very uh, Ghibli inspired, but it felt to me kind of like some weird amalgamation of the two, two Pixar-y slash Disney to be like fully kind of this uh, wonderful, luxuriating. Uh, low stakes kind of hangout movie that I think many people see in it, but not in, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like not enough of the inverse to be the other thing, you know, like it's just, it fell into this weird zone for me where I felt like the movie ultimately was trying to do too much. It's 90 minutes long or 95 minutes long. And there was just like a lot of beats that it wanted to hit. And I don't know that it really fully hit them. Right. It's got, it's got this thing about like, going out and like uh learning you know the main character luca like learning about like the outside world and what's out there right and like that's a plot line and then like um his uh camaraderie with the fellow fish people and like his belonging to them is a plot line and then like um the whole uh bicycle situation the whole triathlon where one of the events Mm -hmm. is eating uh, pasta is is a plot line you know all these things uh kind of felt like they were crowding each other out in such a short movie 
And I felt like for me, none of them really landed. That said, I think the movie is really, really beautiful. And uh, Devendra, I agree with your comments about like the look of the film. Um, I think it just really is uh, uh, very pleasing to the eye. And uh, as HT said, uh, Pixar constantly tries to push itself when it comes to mm-hmm. uh, technology and, and visuals. And I think that uh, this is one of the, if not the best looking Pixar film. And uh, I was mm-hmm. really impressed by that. So what was an onward, by the way, about those guys trying to resurrect their dad? Yes, like yeah. that's, that's that's not low stakes. Okay, okay, you know, that's right. you know but like uh, they, these guys any... just want to run a race. They kind of want a Vespa. They just want a Vespa and explore the they world. They just want a Vespa. They just want a Vespa. They want to win a race that's clearly for children only, <laughs> <laughs> and no one else in the town really cares about it. Yeah, uh, See, that's I, I, great. I, I'm saying I didn't mind the low stakes at all. Like that's that wasn't my issue with the film. Some people might have had issue with the low stakes. I'm like really, this is what the whole movie's about. I don't I don't care about that. I just more care about the execution mm-hmm. personally. But See, yeah. Dave, um, I actually I've, I've heard that uh, criticism before that you said about like there being too much plot and a lot of things happening, but I don't necessarily see all of those things uh, as plot. I just see it as mm. more texture of the film mm-hmm. adding up to totally agree like, the yep. world. Like the only real plot is the race, but everything else just kind of is part of building up what this world is and what Luca is and like what he wants to leave versus what he wants to pursue. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the main thrust of the movie. Uh, I do think that is a lot busier and there's more happening in the movie versus a Ghibli movie, which is much more sparse uh, because this is a, a, a Pixar film. It's made for Western audiences and they generally have a smaller attention span than uh, Japanese films or, uh, or Eastern films will, will give them credit for. But yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily all that necessarily see all that as being plot threads that are just dropped. I just see that as part of that texture. Mm-hmm. It's like all one thread to me. Mm-hmm. And the the yeah the the contest is kind of the main thing. I mean, there they this movie throws so much at you. I think just for like a scene, you know, like the creepy deep sea uncle. Just for that, yeah, yeah scene, that was pretty good. You know, so pretty good. good. That was pretty really good. Funny. Yeah, like that a lot. That was very good. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, Sasha Baron Cohen, you know. Oh, wow. Oh, is it? Nice. Yeah. That's a surprise. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Uh, all right. Is that, is it, are you confirming that, Jeff, or did you just think that? Because sometimes you've, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes your cast IDs have been suspect. I read that in the credits, but I'm going to double check on IMDb that I didn't miscredit <laughs> him. All right. Well, why don't we get to spoilers, guys? Let's talk about spoilers for Lucas. And also, yeah. also how dare you? <laughs> spoilers for Lucas starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Spoilers, Jeff was right. <laughs> Yay! Yay! You nailed see, it, Jeff. You know, a broken clock. <laughs> you nailed it. You know it. what I'm saying? You yeah. nailed it. Um... All right, so uh, any thoughts on the ending of this movie um, or uh, any other uh, elements of... I'm, I'm excited about the sequel where they all go looking for the best friend's dad. Find Ooh. out what the deal is with dad. Because oh, yeah. I know... We yeah. know that he didn't just abandon him. He got abducted because they thought he was a sea monster, right? We're, we're, we're never seeing that guy's dad again, Jeff. Um, I, I, I think... But that's a, that's a Pixar hallmark, right? The dads are always mysteriously are gone. gone. Like yeah. I think that's 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 right for a sequel that they find out they got to reunite and go find the dad because they found out he didn't abandon him. He just 
was captured as a sea monster by humans. And so it's break the dad out of human jail. Uh, there was a lot of controversy this week. <laughs> there was a lot of controversy this week. There was an episode of AV Club podcast. You guys see this? Where like mm-hmm. the the title of the episode and the tweet that promoted it was like, "Why isn't Pixar as good as it used to be?" and or "Why Pixar isn't as good as it used to be?" And like people really got upset about this tweet about the um, title. They should have they should have listened to my hmm. limerick. I think <laughs> the limerick that did not that. exist when this tweet came yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say, like, you know, like, uh, you can have your own opinion on whether Pixar's work has gotten better or worse. Um, For for me personally, I will say this is the first Pixar movie I have ever seen, like literally in in my entire life that I did not cry during. And maybe that's like, oh, well, the movie's not trying to do that. And I think that's very clear. Like, it's maybe it's not. But it just felt to me, it felt to me like it was trying to do that, like in the final sequence with like the train ticket and everything like that. And it just didn't really work on me as much as that. I, I, don't have, know, a I have a thing. Yeah. I have a thing to say about this, actually, David. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and let me just be clear. I don't think yeah. that like whether or not I wept during a movie is an indication of quality at all. Like, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. sounds like it's what you're saying, though. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying like this one moved me less, and I think that has yeah. to do with um, the way you're, you're just saying your lack of a tear is a clear judgment on this movie. I'm saying it moved me less, and that, <laughs> in my opinion, is an indication of the way the story is structured as well as the the storytelling itself. But, okay, HT, mm-hmm, your mm-hmm. thoughts? Okay, here I go. So <laughs> I do think that there is this strange standard for any Pixar film that it is considered a a great Pixar film based on how hard it can make you cry and i think that that is not really an indicator of really the quality of the pixar film but rather how more how increasingly emotionally manipulative it these pixar films are becoming and mm. more obviously so and this sounds harsh but there are moments in a lot of especially recent pixar films that as you're watching them you can definitely tell that they're made for the cry uh Bing Bong's introduction in Inside Out, uh, <laughs> Toy Story three, and the um, the uh, incinerator, uh, various other things. Um, but those uh, the in Soul, the that moment well, in Onward moment when in Onward. There, he's in the in the thing and he can't quite see. Yes, that oh, moment God, that Onward, made me cry. Wally's the, resurrection, Wally's resurrection, yeah. the um, yeah. in Soul, the moment uh, where uh, Soul. Soul 22 yeah. is, Spoiler, is spoilers for soul probably, yes, but yeah, spoilers for every yeah. picture yeah. Yeah. is, uh, yeah. you know, lost in the zone. And I think that the problem with these uh, moments as effective as they can be is that you can see the emotional wiring behind them. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a, an apparency and an obviousness to them that a lot, for a lot of these moments, I actually, were, was not as emotionally affected as other moments in these films. In Toy Story 3, the moment that actually got me crying was the goodbye scene when Andy is driving away and he is just, and he has seen Bonnie playing with these toys that were so precious to him as a kid and he revisits that, ch- that childhood but then decides to part with it. And that part really broke my heart in a way that I felt like was a much more emotionally complex thing than the incinerator. Um, and the in Inside Out, the the reunion with 
uh, Riley and her parents a, most, a much more emotionally complex moment than just Bing Bong falling into the imagination hole, or whatever. So I feel like Pixar, in creating these moments, they show their emotional wiring and sometimes accidentally stumble on something that's much more emotionally interesting. And in Luca, there isn't any moment that's specifically wired to appeal to your tear ducts. And I, th- I mean, I disagree. I disagree, but no, go, uh, I, go ahead. I disagree with you. I think there's I at think, least one. There's yep, one I can point but, to. But yeah. go, go ahead. Yeah. You should finish your point. Yep. Yes, but I think that it's not as emo- as as obvious. I think there's a more more of an authenticity going into them because it is much more quiet, low stakes film, and it's not trying to go for the tear ducts as much. And I think that in a, in its depiction of this this friendship, which is just feels very ordinary, apart from being between two to see people it it uh i thought you were gonna say boys (laughs) boys (laughs) it's it's something that because in its ordinariness in its in its mundanity it's something so recognizable when you start to see this relationship start to fray because luca sees a different kind of friendship different kind of relationship in julia and how alberto who was once his lone guiding star his one north star starts to his his light starts to become a little bit dimmer and alberto fears feels that and as a child who's been abandoned by his parents he feels that same abandonment from luca and i think everything leading up to that is just so much more emotionally honest and complex and not just about getting that rise out of you it's something that you can see in in everyday life Mm -hmm, um and mm -hmm. it's very specific but it's very specific to this these two characters that I found myself more moved, but not brought to tears. I think that that doesn't make it any lesser or less of an emotional impact. I think I respected it even more so because it doesn't go for the easy cry. So that's my thing. There's the wiring isn't the emotional wiring isn't as obvious in Luca to me as it is in other Pixar films. I mean, I think think. many great points made there. Um, I think that, I agree with you that the relationship between Luca and um, the girl, oh, Julia. Uh, Julia, is actually great. I, I love that it's not like a love interest or anything like that, right? Like, there's no romance between these kids or anything like that. It's just like, hey, this is another friend. And uh, it's kind of, she's kind of like comp- competition for Alberto to some degree. Uh, and I, I really like, and, and as you indicated, like, it's about what that, girl represents to him which is like a not only just like friendship but also uh more accurate information about science she she opens and she opens his eyes to the skies versus how he just saw the surface before he sees right he starts to see the stars rather than the fish that he thought yeah i i I enjoy all that i enjoy that i i do think that uh at the end at the train station with the ticket and everything like that um, that was kind of like the we're going to try to make a cry moment and it, it didn't work on me, you know, in, in this case. And I would also argue that like those other times, I, I agree that some of them are like kind of um, obviously trying to yeah. pull the, the hearts. We're, we're going to make and, all your toys kill themselves. Right. <laughs> Amazing. I was I, in I, the press reading for that and we all just looked at each other. We're like, what's happening here? <laughs> so I, I definitely agree that some of them can feel like quite manipulative, but um, I also think that the str- the strength of these movies is the, in the big ideas that they represent. Like Inside Out, the plot is about 
these different emotions kind of warring against each other or collaborating with each other to try to achieve some outcome. But in my opinion, Inside Out is really about parenthood, right? It's a it's a allegory for parenthood and about like letting go of being able to control your child's life. Like that's that's what Inside Out is for me. I'm not saying that's like the only valid interpretation. And so when these big ideas are played with in really interesting and heartbreaking ways, I feel very moved by them. And I felt like there were some hand waves at big ideas in Luca. This idea of, again, as I mentioned, like being being part of one people and like uh, having camaraderie with like people and then like being forced to choose between your people or other people. Like that's like a pretty big um, idea that runs through the whole film. But it just it didn't land for me as well as some of those other allegories in the other films. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's not about like the emotionally manipulative moment. It's more about like how well did this movie like illustrate an idea? How strong was that idea? And then like delivering the gut punch, the emotional gut punch with it. What if, um, what if Luca yeah. wasn't about an idea though? What if it was just about mm-hmm. a feeling? I, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I wish it was about that. Like mm-hmm. I, I wish that was my experience with it, but it felt like it was trying to be both. And I don't know that it succeeded at either one for me personally, but, um, but anyway, enough about my thoughts on this. Any what, Devendra and Jeff, do you have any thoughts on the ending uh, of Luca? Did did, uh, did that that ending kind of have an effect on you uh, in a way that it might not have for me? Jeff, no, Canada, I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I thought it was beautiful. I, mm-hmm. I I don't think I cried necessarily, but I also didn't come away going, "Boy, I really should have cried there," and I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I was mm-hmm. I was just in lo- so in love with the movie that. Uh, I, I I adored all of the characters. I mean, they're all so beautifully drawn. Um, I mean, even small characters are vivid and fun. And uh, I love that that uh, the little girl, um, uh, I don't remember her name, but the, every single character in it is just a delight. And the world building is so fun and interesting. And I just wanted to visit that town. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's... It's so idyllic. It, in, it in is like a specific yeah. way. And yeah. it's a wash of yeah. this nostalgia that is just so warm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so clearly a period movie, but yeah. not specific. Yeah. You know, it is, it, it's, it feels uh, almost timeless in a mm-hmm. sense. Um, the the ending yeah. with the train actually felt so photorealistic too. It felt like we were jumping into an Italian neorealist movie or something. Yeah. Um, so that like, that's my main takeaway from the ending is just like, this bittersweetness, you know, this friendship that exists, um, it'll continue on. This fatherless kid gets a father figure, you know, and yeah. uh, Luca can become, can start to see more of the world. One thing I don't think the movie made really clear is that he, you know, he helped his parents see more of the world too, because they did not realize what happens to the uh, the the Mer people, even though apparently his grandma did. So. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting thing. Like he is, it's a sort of ambition that can kind of um, change your family's lives too, especially for like, you know, closely protective folks like that. I, I found a lot of that just really rewarding in a way. It, it didn't really make me cry. I think the scene that really hit me as an emotional gut punch was when um, Alberto uh, basically betrays Luca, right? Uh, Luke is the, the other way around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah Luca betrays yeah. him, but it, it, it it kind of comes around from both ways, right? Because, uh, yeah, it, it's because of what Alberto did at the same time. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, that moment just hit me because it's like, oh, I can remember those times where 
either I or somebody did something like that to me as a kid where you're just like, oh, you side with a friend or you put a friend in a bad place because of your own weakness or cowardice or something. And that just hit me. It feels like unusually cruel almost, a cruel moment for a Pixar film, but one Mm -hmm. that's so realistic to these kind of friendships between boys mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> the look the betrayal yeah the look the betrayal and i think that it lends to just that that complexity and uh, like i keep saying emotional honesty mm-hmm. of the of the film and and how it's about those sort of fleeting friendships that that hurt you but help you and and that leave an indelible mark on you even when you part ways with them at the end and mm-hmm. it's that bittersweet ending bittersweet feeling that it leaves you with at the end yeah, absolutely. I just also want to say, um, I I don't know how long we're gonna have child Jacob Tremblay voice, but uh, yeah. I really I'm really glad we captured it for this movie because it's really this and uh, Doctor Sleep is the other uh, really memorable uh, captured Jacob Tremblay voice, right? Um, his his death screams. So <laughs> that, yeah, that haunted that my, movie's been five minutes killing Jacob Tremblay. Did y'all forget yeah. that? No, I never like torturing that. him. Um, but anyway, great, great I, film, he, by the way. Great, great film. film. I love yeah. it. Check out the director's yeah. cut, people. Uh, yeah. It is the Spo- extras. Spoilers, by the way, also. But yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the extras on HBO Max. So check it out. Um, but yeah, this I loved his voice work here. And also, I think the things that we define, the way his voice sounds and the way like he sounds so very innocent. I, you know, yeah. I, I don't know how much longer we have this with him. I also want to give a uh, shout out to uh, Jack Dylan Grazer, who played Alberto. Yeah. I think he was fantastic in it he was just very charming and charismatic but at the same time he he managed to give that that vulnerability that the character uh required to all right well at the end of the day guys i still think considering all factors it's pretty impressive that enrico casarosa directed a movie what a movie so uh, i think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the slash filmcast you can find more episodes of the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from Adam Warrock. Check out his music on Bandcamp. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber and filmmaker Kyle Corwith. This episode was edited by me. Uh, you can find... Uh, I already said you can find more episodes, but you can find the episode we're going to be discussing, the movie we're going to be discussing next week shortly. In the meantime, I do want to give another big thank you and shout out to Huai Chambui, thank you so much, HD, for joining us today. We hope you had fun. Thanks for having me, and thanks for. Um, I'm always ha- I always have a great time here, especially when I get to talk about boys and Pixar <laughs> <laughs> with the boys. Yeah. Talking about boys with talking the boys. about boys with the boys. Yeah, we should recap Amazon's with the boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, next week it's going to be Fast Nine, folks, and uh, what? Wow. all of us are going back to the theater. All roads lead to this. To yeah. see it, quarter mile of so time. look forward. This will be my first movie since uh, in the, in the theater since Invisible Man. The movies, the movies, Jeff. Yeah. All right, folks. See you next week.
And then uh, Lance Reddick plays Charon. Charon. Uh huh. I'm forget- hearing. By the way, Dave, the audio on the stream is only you talking. Oh, that's great <laughs> to hear in the cell. So good job. That's, that's great. You're like Garfield without Garfield over here. That's all. That's so. That's so awesome. I'm so glad that this is Dave's people- final version of the show that he's always wanted. Uh- <laughs> Just me and all my friends over Just here. Just Dave's voice in, a, in an echo yep. chamber. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think I understand what the problem is. Um, hold on. Um, okay. Thank you. Thank you, people who've tweeted about this. Well, I'll thank them in the okay. chat. Okay. Okay. Sorry about this. Um, Dude, for all they know, we're nailing this quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Dave, all that you is Dave asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs>